In John chapter 14, verse 6, we find a statement from Jesus where he makes a proclamation, <clears throat> I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father <clears throat> except through me. The conditions of living that Christ walked into were very rough ones for everyone in that day except maybe a, a privileged few here or there. The land was occupied by pagan unbelievers and they were cruel taskmasters. The value of human life was almost non-existent. You could lose your life as for nothing more than the whim of an individual thought you looked the wrong way at them or just for the sake of supporting something else that someone had a desire for. I guess the best way to look at it today is um, it's kind of like a, an eminent domain law that ruled life. If you were a village and the invaders wanted a, a road going through you, they would just go in and slaughter everybody. There wasn't no, no worry about buying rights of ways or anything like that that we're more familiar with. They'd just wipe it out and go. That's, that's what Jesus walked into. On the spiritual level, it was even worse, if you can imagine that. Because the laws of God had been so humanized to the point that they were really not much more than an unintelligible mass of legalistic rituals. And they were subject to the interpretation of those who really only used and wished to use them for the exploitation of others and for the betterment of their own power or their own position, even within their own religion. It is a true fact that the church can be its own worst enemy. That's very common, has been throughout history. And so it was hard for people to know what was right and what was wrong. You can imagine that. The one thing we have going for us today in, in the, the situation and circumstances we are in in this world where literally people have given up hope and faith and belief in just about anything and everything. And that really is a statement of where we are for a lot of people today, folks. We're having a hard time finding anything we can grab a hold of and believe in. And some of that, I think, is by God's design because he's going to show us that he is truly the only one that we can have faith in. You're not going to have faith in the economy. You're not going to have faith in the government. You're not going to have faith in anything else. Faith in God's the only thing that will endure. And when the Bible tells us that faith in God is the only thing that endures throughout life and into eternity, it means it. It's truth. And so we learn that. So into the midst of this chaos for everyday man came Jesus, the Messiah. 
And we find his purpose given to us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, where he tells us, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Now, he's not just talking about sinners here, okay? A lot of times it's interpreted that way, and that's certainly not an incorrect, it's just an incomplete interpretation. He came to save much more than just sinful people. He came to save God's system that man had so corrupted. Go back to the days of Noah, if you would, and think about how things were there. Uh, Robert and I were talking about this before uh, for church. The similarities between Christ coming in and Noah and the ark during the flood. Christ came in to be the ark. To carry people through the flood of confusion and floods of doubt and the floods of, of, of just mass mess. <laughs> That's the best way I know to put it. Mass mess. You don't want to say that three times fast. <laughs> but that's really what Jesus came for. He's, he, came to, he came to save the entire world system. Jesus didn't just come to save people. Please understand that. Again, that is true. It's just that it is limited and God is not. You see, God created the heavens and he created the earth and he created government and he created everything that we have, everything that we know. He created cultures. He created all of this. And Jesus came to save it all. Bring it back to a recognizable form because it had lost all recognition. And that's what he walked into. And we need to understand that because then we can understand better why he could make this statement and why he felt it necessary to make this statement. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He set himself up. How dare he? That's what they said. He set himself up as the pattern of life to follow for all things. And that's what he was telling his disciples. Christ's purpose in coming was to generate and regenerate the possibility of God's grace by modeling the way to those around him, the way to God's grace, the way God's grace worked, how God's love felt, how God's power worked. He came to model, demonstrate all of that to the world again so that the world through him might be saved. That was his purpose. That's what we mean when we, when we quote John 3, 16, 17, 18, all those scriptures in there. God so loved the world. That's why. It was a physical action on God's part and on Jesus' part. This wasn't just some spiritual divine intervention that went on for a few. It was a physical action that took place and we need to understand that part of it. And he did it by simply proclaiming, I am the way, follow me. I don't know how many of us would be willing to stand up today and share with the rest of the congregation, y'all want to know how to get life right, come do what I do. 
Come follow me. Do exactly what I do. Do what I show you do, and you'll get your life all straightened out. Everything will be great. How many of you want to volunteer for that one? No. But Christ brought to us the way. And it wasn't just a way. It was the way. The only way. And it really is, friends. It's the only way you're going to get this life to work for you because it is the way of God. Not the, just the way of Christ. Understand this. Because I hear people say, well, we need to go the way of Christ. Again, that's not an untrue statement. It's just incomplete. Because Christ only did that which the Father sent him to do. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What I have spoken, you've heard from me, you've heard from the Father. He spoke that to his disciples. He speaks that to us so that we understand there is a reality to his words. These are not just scriptural idealisms. These are not just philosophies. These are not just some good idealisms that make for nice Sunday school lessons. This is the way to get it right. This is the way. You say, well, but I've tried some of those Bible things in life and, you know, nothing changed. Well, friends, he didn't say I've come to change everything. He said, I've come to show you the way through it. He didn't say, I've come to be the change. Come to me and everything in life is going to be perfect and wonderful from then on. And nobody was expecting him to, really. At the very worst, they were expecting him to be a physical king that might raise up an army and deliver them from their, from their oppressors, from the Roman presence there. That was the worst of it. But nobody expected Christ to come, nor was it ever prophesied that he would come and take care of all their problems for them. Rather, he would lead them the way through it because he even shared in this world you will have tribulations he even prayed for his disciples he said father I don't pray that you take them out of the world but rather give them power to overcome it and so they did and so we will and so you can if you follow the way and follow the truth Thomas tried to claim ignorance, said, Lord, we don't, we don't know. We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way to get there? And Jesus looks at him and says, Thomas, have you been with me all this time? And you can still say you don't know the way? That's where we get this statement from. Jesus told him, he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, my goodness gracious. All this time, the miracles, there were concrete things that Jesus did. There were, the best way I know to describe it to you is there were mechanics. There was a, a, a detailed outline and list of things that Jesus did, that Jesus taught, that Jesus said, that Jesus demonstrated, and they weren't there just for Jesus to show off. You see, we look at the miracles Jesus did and, and we get all excited and say, oh, you know, Jesus did this and Jesus did that and he did, you know. Uh, 
That's not what he was doing them for. He was doing that so that they would see the way. It's like a flashlight on a dark road. Here, let me light the way so that you don't get off the path, so that you don't stumble and hurt yourself, so that you can see the curves and the bends in the road. Let me show you the way. And he had shown them the way they should follow. And literally, it was habits, things to do, things to, way to pray, way to deal with people, way to treat people, how to have faith, all of these different things. He had dealt with some of the misunderstandings of, of um, philosophies, ideas, religion, if you would. He corrected a lot of the mistakes of the, of the, uh, the mess that the laws of God and the laws of Moses were in because they had been so humanized by that day and time. And yet he told them, he said, I did not come to take away anything from it. I did not come to remove a period, a comma, or any part from the law. I came to fulfill it. And that's a different way of looking at it. You say, well, you know, Jesus changes things. Jesus didn't change anything. He straightened it out, which in itself is a change. So I understand it. But we sometimes think, sometimes you get the idea that, you know, Jesus just ripped out everything it was and laid it one side and he started a whole new thing. No, he didn't. He took what was there and he put it back on track. Think with me, if you would, of a train that has derailed. And that's exactly what was going on. Humanity was, had derailed in that time. Because human beings in their own way, whether religious or non-religious, had made such a mess of things by their own wisdom, somebody had to come put the train back on the track. And so Jesus did. But he did more than put the train on the track. He took over steering it too. And he said, hook your car up. Follow me. That's what he asked us for. He had shown them the way they should follow. He said, if any man will come after me, he must let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Self-denial, friends, is not a popular subject for us. We don't like self-denial too much because it means we have to sacrifice sometimes. And yet self-denial is at the very core of Christ's teaching and it's at the very core of the weaknesses of that society in which he walked, and it's at the very core of the weaknesses of our societies today. We are so bent on our own thing, and yet the more and more we're bent on our own thing, we can't describe what that thing is. We just know we want more of it. But we can't tell you what it is. Jesus said, I'm going to show you what it is. I'm going to show you what your heart hungers for. I'm going to show you what your life hungers for. I'm going to show you what your mind hungers for, what your body hungers for, because it was created by God. And it's only going to ever be fulfilled by those things which are of God. It taught them truth and the reality of God's plan for creation. They'd seen miracles performed. Think about this. Literal miracles. They'd seen the power of God. Go back and think through your Bible. They saw 
demonstrated the power of God over Satan. There's no question about whether God has power over Satan. It was demonstrated. It has been physically demonstrated, physically seen, physically witnessed, physically done, not metaphorically, not philosophically, physically. It's been done and witnessed. So we know God has power over Satan. He saw grace. They saw grace and forgiveness in action. They heard it taught. They saw it demonstrated. They saw the truth of God's word taught, explained to them, revealed to them, physically revealed, demonstrated. Not just some religious idealism of them, of it, not just some teachings of philosophical understandings, but the real thing. And then saw it put into action and saw it work. That's important for us to realize. He'd shown them that eternal life as the gift of God was indeed theirs for those who would believe. Remember Lazarus? You think, the, you think the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was just so Jesus could show off how, how much authority he had? So they could say, ooh, Jesus, you're good, man. You got something going on here. Jesus raised Lazarus so that people would see and believe. He even said it. Father, I speak this out loud so that the people around might believe in you. That God, he demonstrated to it, God has power over death. He's the creator. Demonstrated. Not just once. A Roman centurion servant raised him from the dead. Not just that time, Jairus' daughter. And even now he was preparing them for his own death and his own resurrection that was going to take place. So he had given them, I've just named you three demonstrations of the fact that his resurrection was indeed possible because God was who he said he was. So they had every right to expect it. We have every right to expect one day we also shall be resurrected because it's been demonstrated to us time and time and time and time again, physically. Jesus showed them a life of love. He showed them the life of grace. He showed them the life of mercy. He produced, and what all of these things could produce through a life of service, through a life of self-denial. Jesus showed them what kingdom living was all about and how to live it here, now, in preparation for eternity as well. He showed them these things, demonstrated it physically, literally, demonstrated it. Everything they needed to choose successfully could be found in an examination of Christ, and they of all people had the inside advantage in that area. The days in which our lives are lived out can be equally uncertain. We're all aware of the need to measure up to God's standards. We're all aware of the mess that our world is in around us. And you're going to have one of two reactions to it, maybe three. One's going to be just an absolute denial of it, just stick your head in the sand and say, hey, I don't care whatever happens, I'm just going to kind of do my thing until whatever. That's really not the way to go. 
other people are going to try to correct the system in the world, and that's what was happening at that time, and that's what created a lot of the greater mess, and that's all we're going to do. We're seeing that already. We're, we're, we're just bigger and bigger mess. We, we're hoping for and looking for someone who has the means to straighten this all out, and, you know, I hear many, many people saying that nobody has a clue. There's nobody I can have any faith in. I beg to differ with you. There never has been anybody you can have faith in except Christ, except God. He's the only one that's ever going to be straightening it out. He's the only one that's ever promised he would, could, and proved that he can. It's just that it's not always in the way we would like for it to be. The good news today is still that the path that we're commanded to follow in order to stand successfully before God on the day of judgment is simple. And it really is, friends. This isn't a doctrinal issue. This isn't a religious issue. This isn't just a, uh, some philosophical issue or some ethereal type issue. You know, this isn't metaphysical. It is and covers and touches every aspect of our life. Jesus Christ touched the spiritual. He touched both this world and the other world. He touched the physical side of things. He touched the mental side. He touched the economy. He touched on everything. And all the precepts that Christ taught us to live on were those which God created. They are the laws of God. And he fulfilled them. He demonstrated them. He gave us a picture, a painting. Remember in our response time, 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of reading the Bible. Start with the, the, the Ten Commandments and then go through the red letters of Christ. I hope you're doing that because by now you should be seeing just a wonderful, wonderful tapestry of what those commandments were all about because of what Christ taught us. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You're not going to make it any other way except through me. That wasn't just a bold religious claim. That wasn't bragging. It was truth. And friends, we need to understand that truth today. So I ask you, what defines your life? I wonder if we stand before God when we stand, and we will stand before God. I wonder, what are you going to show God? Are you going to show him your Nikes? Look here, God, I got the best kicks that money could buy. Huh? Are you going to show him your new home? Are you going to show him your car? Going to show him how you line those putts up on the green? Watch this. 45 feet, Lord, and I'll hit it every time. What? Isn't that impressive? Sure, I need to get in heaven. Going to show him that beautiful, beautiful quilt you sewed? You going to bake God a cake and say, hey, if you want this in heaven, smell that, Lord. Smell that. You want this in heaven, let me in. You going to show him your bank account? Bribe your way through? No, friends. No, friends. You're going to show him the truth. 
And that truth is either going to be your version of it or Jesus' version of it. And he's the only one that's going to get you to the Father. For he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I ask you this question today. How are you preparing for eternal life? Because how you are preparing for eternal life impacts your life right here, right now. I don't care what you're going through, what you're dealing with, what you're suffering. It's going to be made better if you do it and go through it God's way. His path is going to lead you the right way. The way with the most light, the way with the most truth, the way with the most to offer when the times of healing, when the times of comfort, when the times of blessing are needed. The only way it's going to offer you the true things is going to be the way of God demonstrated through Christ. So, what are you doing today that will make certain that you're prepared to meet God tomorrow? That's our question. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard your word. And we just pray that your spirit would move upon the hearts and lives of everyone here. And let us see the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that your word sometimes can be burdensome to us. Father, I know that sometimes your word can disturb us. God, it's the only way to get through to the peace and the joy that passes all understanding. We have to deal with it. But to know that it's words of truth, words of love, words of mercy, words of hope. So help us to open our heart to you today. To take your word in and let it pierce where it needs to, cut where it needs to. But in all cases, knowing you are the great physician, you're the great healer. And whatever cut we might suffer will not be long lived before the joy and the peace of God and the light of Christ begins to fill its place. And then comes the indwelling of your comforting spirit. Make us willing to look at ourselves as we stand before you through Christ our Lord. Amen.